My name is Doug Freeman, and I'm the administrative pastor at Verde Valley Christian Church, uh, and I'm privileged to be able to share with you this morning, and also I think it was intentional, which is a word that you're going to hear a million times this morning, it was intentional that they chose to, on a youth Sunday, to have the most senior pastor share on this, and so we are a multi-generational church, by the way, so we have the young ones and we have the older folk like me. So, uh, But anyway, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. We're starting a new series today called Fan into Flame, and it's going to be a series out of the book of 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy was the Apostle Paul's final letter. It's the final writing that we have from Paul before he would be martyred. And so the, the, the title of today's sermon is Take Your Baton and Be Faithful. And the baton of faith or the baton, the baton of truth is a, is a spiritual thing that's talked about much in the Bible, about passing the baton and carrying the baton correctly. We see stories of Elijah and Elisha, of, of the passing of the baton between those two men, of, of King David and Solomon uh, passing the baton from a king to his son who would be king. Uh, we, uh, to Joshua, uh, Moses to Joshua. Uh, we have that throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, of course, the, the most important one was Jesus to the disciples, okay? So it's a spiritual principle that we see throughout the Bible. And so I'm going to set the stage a little bit for this, this letter of 2 Timothy to kind of talk a little bit about what was going on at the time. Again, it would be his last letter, and uh, Paul's situation had changed dramatically. He'd been arrested years before, but he was kind of on house arrest and had some freedoms. At this point that he writes this letter, he's imprisoned in a Roman jail, and it was, could be any day that he would die, and indeed it was shortly after this letter was written that Paul was martyred uh, for the gospel ministry. And so things at the time, things that were happening at the time, Christians were universally persecuted at this time. Um, it was a very, very, very difficult thing. And Paul, uh, even though he was facing uh, death, he wasn't really concerned about himself. Most of the other men that were associated with him in the ministry had left the area, whether it be out of fear or, or out of persecution or just to relocate. Uh, Luke was the only one left with, with Paul at this particular time. But Paul's concern mainly wasn't about himself, but it was about his son in the faith, Timothy, because Timothy would be receiving that baton of faith to oversee the ministries that would be uh, that there would be a void in because of Paul's uh, imminent death, and so in this in this letter, we really see Paul encouraging his beloved colleague Timothy, and and Timothy would soon step into Paul's shoes, which would not be an easy task. So this is a very personal letter. We have a lot of insights of Paul speaking to Timothy. It was almost a, a spiritual father son type relationship. And Paul knew that if he, if he could encourage Timothy and that by God's Holy Spirit empowering that Timothy would be successful in carrying the gospel message throughout the world, throughout the churches that Paul had established. So really this letter is for us today because as God's people, we too have been called to take the baton of faith, the baton of biblical truth, and to be faithful and to be intentional with the gifts that God has given us to reach a lost and a hurting world. And then to even pass the baton on to others. 
That is seen in the Great Commission when it talks about going out into all the world and making disciples. That's passing the baton of truth to others to make disciples, the Great Commission. All believers are called to that. So I'm going to begin by reading the first 10 verses um, out of the book of 2 Timothy. This is, this is, by the way, this is not my normal, I have what, what I call my preaching Bible, which is a little bit thinner than this. It's easier to hold up for a long amount of time. But uh, this is a Bible that I'll, I'm going to brag on my wife for a minute. Uh, this is probably the number 13 or 14 or maybe even 15 that my wife has done where she purchases a Bible and then she writes in the margins for a specific purpose. Throughout the year, she reads that Bible in the year and she makes notes for the person that she's reading the Bible for. She's done it for all of our children, all of our grandchildren, several friends, and this is the one that she did for me. So it has special meaning to me. It's just neat to see her notes to me about what's happening in these things. So anyway, uh, just an advertisement on the side about my faithful life. So beginning the second epistle of Paul uh, to the Apostle Timothy. Greeting Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me stop right there and just say this. If you want to follow along, there's some Bibles in the seat in front of you. And if you don't know where 2 Timothy is, it's right after 1 Timothy. Okay? <laughs> if that helps you. He goes on to say, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." So in this letter, we have the, the extreme privilege, I believe, of peering into a mentor-mentee type relationship. And we see at the very beginning of this letter, Paul expressing his love, expressing his prayers, and expressing his confidence in Timothy. And we see them growing together. And one, one of our mission statements at Verde Valley Christian Church is, is uh, growing together in grace and truth through Jesus Christ and a relationship designed by him. That's exactly what this relationship was that Paul and Timothy had. They had been working together for 16-some years. Paul or Timothy started as a young man. We don't know exactly how old, but I'm picturing a, a teenager when he started working with Paul in the ministry. And so uh, that's a little bit about their, about their relationship. And, but in this letter, I believe there's a call for every believer. Uh, if you sit here this morning and you've professed belief in, in Christ Jesus, then this is for you. And it's God's encouragement to us to seek God's strength and to seek and pursue faithfulness with intentionality on our spiritual journey. And we'll develop that intentionality thing a little bit later in this. But it, for any that are called, it tells in these verses that, that if you are called, if you're a believer, you are called, and you've been equipped, you've been gifted, okay? But not all handle the baton well. 
Not all are interested in passing the baton, in making disciples. And I believe this baton illustration, uh, it prompts a lot of questions, even in my own mind. And, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with, with a baton in a, in a, in a race, where in a, in a relay race, where three or four different runners, I think four most of the time, would, would do a lap, and then they would pass the baton to the next runner. And, and so there was a lot of, lot of importance in handling the baton correctly and making the pass correctly. Okay, that's kind of what the illustration, and the illustration, I think, again, prompts uh, quite a few questions. Again, are, are you doing it? Are you handling it well? Are you passing it in a God-honoring way? And we have to ask ourselves some questions, and these are questions that, when I do a study like this, there's always things that, that none of this is just for you. This is for me. So there's questions that came into my mind, like, do I have a firm grip on the baton of faith? Okay, am I running with endurance the race that is set before me? Am I handling the baton with eternity in mind? Or am I like a child who's maybe just messing around with the baton, you know, using it for a telescope or, or, or using it for a, a megaphone, making noises? Is that, am I acting like a child with this? Or do I understand the importance of it? Um, Am I, am I distracted in the race uh, by the crowd around me or even other runners? Am I, am I barely moving in the race because of spiritual malnourishment? Am I suffering from spiritual apathy? I just don't care about being in the race. Have I been disqualified because I've strayed out of my lane? Have I put this baton on the shelf and only look at it occasionally? Not really concerned about it, but I just look at it occasionally. Is it camouflaged? Because I don't really want anybody else to see that I am a believer and that I have the baton of faith. Or maybe I've even hidden it in a closet because I'm ashamed of the gospel message. And I guess I would have to, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't add this. And I, there's probably some here today that have never picked up the baton of faith, who've never made a decision for Christ, who are not in the spiritual race that I'm speaking about this morning. If that's you... Come see me after the service. We'll also have a prayer team over there because we would like to talk to you and answer any questions that you might have. And again, as any study that I've ever done ever in my entire 40 years of Christian life, I can't do one of these without always coming to some kind of personal application or realizing that there's things that have happened in my life that I can relate well to this. And, and for this, just recently in the past year, year and a half, I'm on the upside now. But I went through a difficult, stormy season of uh, between COVID and societal issues and church closed down and all the stuff that, 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 that happened, I was shook a little bit. And, and while I don't believe I ever drifted, well, I know I never drifted from the faith, but I definitely lost some of my intentionality and I was definitely distracted by other runners. I was definitely distracted by the crowd, okay? But I didn't have any focus Okay, I had lost focus. I had, I had lost clarity in what God wanted me to do and the direction that he was going in my life. But again, he was faithful to uh, continue ministering to my heart. And with even some of these things we're going to talk about today, I was able to come out of that season. And, but knowing this, that we're all going to have seasons in our life like that. And God is good and faithful to carry us through those seasons and uh, bring us out the other side having learned much. There's a quote by C.H. Spurgeon that talks about faithfulness. He says, I know of nothing 
which I would choose to have as a subject of my ambition for life than to be kept faithful to my God till death. Faithfulness is, is critical in the Christian life. And if you don't know what I, if you don't quite understand what I'm talking about, faithfulness is that quality of being true to your word and true to your commitments. It's being true to what you've pledged to do. It's being true to what you profess to believe. I mean, uh, for you people here today that, that are, are married, when you got married, you probably pledged your faithfulness to your spouse. So we do that in a wedding ceremony. We also are called to faithfulness in our covenant relationship with our Heavenly Father. When we step into relationship with Him, we're pledging our faithfulness to Him and the things that He's called us to do. Another quote that talks about and helps us understand intentionality. It says, intentionality is the measuring stick of faithfulness. Okay? And I looked up some words, even though I kind of knew what intentionality meant. I looked up some words because it's always helpful to, for me to get both sides of the picture. Here's some words that are the opposite of intentional. Accidentally, inadvertently, unconsciously, unintentionally, unknowingly, unwittingly, fortuitously, coincidentally, mistakenly, unawares. Now, here's a profound statement. We never just fall into spiritual gospel success. Never. It doesn't happen by accident. Okay? It's because it's contrary to our nature. It's contrary to our flesh. Spiritual maturity contributing to the success of the gospel is always, always, always identified with faithfulness, intentionality, diligence, focus, and a purposeful pursuit of the prize. And, and just so we're clear, uh, I looked up some other scriptures that, that I could look at to say what would help us understand what intentionality and faithfulness is all about. And I looked at Philippians chapter 3, which, by the way, Philippians was written shortly before 2 Timothy. Of course, 1 Timothy was in between those, but it was, one of, it was I think, the, the third last letter that Paul, that Paul wrote. Okay, So he was in prison. He was facing death. He still had time to write 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. But this is what he says. And listen to the words that talk about intentionality in this verse. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So faithfulness with intentionality helps us understand the importance and purpose of God's bigger plan, and it directs our hearts and our minds to actions that will help us to achieve that plan. Okay? An intentional focus gives us greater clarity um, around what we want and what it takes to get there, where to invest our time and our focus. Intentionality helps identify your why, why you're doing these things, and it lays out a path to pursue it. Okay? That's what intentionality does. And they, again, a quote by John Maxwell says, nobody finishes well by accident. Okay? Nobody finishes well by accident. You'll never just stumble into faithfulness. Doesn't that even sound silly to say? Oh, I just was cruising along and I stumbled into faithfulness. No, that, that, that doesn't work. That, that thinking doesn't work. You'll never stumble in 
to faithfulness. It doesn't happen by accident. It's intentional. A couple of verses to help us understand this even more. Out of Proverbs chapter 13, it says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 6, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Both of those scriptures, I believe, talk about great intentions, but no intentionality or faithfulness. Great intentions, great thought, but no actions associated with that. And there's a big difference between having good intentions and intentionality. It's said, and you might get mad at me for saying this, it's said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Okay, good intentions are just good intentions. That's all they are if there's no action taken and intentional acts that follow that. So, but I want you to hear this this morning. I, I don't want you to go away not understanding this. If you're here today, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, whether or not you're walking a faithful, intentional life, faithfulness and intentionality does not make God love you more than he already loves you. Being intentional and faithful will not garner you any special favor from him. Instead, what it does is it's the demonstration that you really love him, that you really have a desire for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's a demonstration of, it's not required for. Okay, so you need to understand that clear. I'm not, I'm not saying if you, you're in trouble if you don't do that, if, you're, if you have a relationship with Christ, again, uh, he's going to be faithful to you. So, another quote. This is Warren Wiersbe. Nothing in life can take the place of faithfulness. Nothing in life can take the place of faithfulness. At memorial services, at funeral services, the ones that I've done, I use a lot uh, the parable of the servants where the servant that did well hears these words. And I use this as an illustration. Of this is what we want to hear if we've, if we've handled the baton well and finished well and we're, we see Christ face to face, Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your Lord. Well, when you think about that, Scripture tells us that there is none good, no, not one. So the good part of that is, was God's doing. The only reason that I am good is because Christ in me. The faithful part is my deal. Okay. So that's what I have to do. I have to do the faithful part. God does the good part. I have to do the faithful part, okay? So we're going to look this morning at four things that Paul reminds Timothy of. Really, he's reminding us uh, in these verses how to fan into flame the gifting and the calling that we would be able to take up our baton of faith with intentionality and to be faithful. So we'll jump into the outline. If you're note takers, look at your outline. We'll, we'll see the first point, which is rekindle your gift. Rekindle your gift. Of course, rekindle is a word that you would like add kindling to a fire. You would rekindle to fan the flame. So rekindle your gift. And that comes from verse 6 of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in, in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul was confident in Timothy's genuine and firm faith. It talked about that in the first few verses. But he was also aware of the difficulties and the challenges of life that would be unrelenting, those circumstances that really would never, never really stop. And he knew that, that those things can cause a lack of, lack of focus. He knew that those things could bring discouragement. He knew that those things could cause spiritual apathy. Um, it could be a distraction to 
to Timothy's faith walk. So this encouragement to fan into flame, it speaks of consistently, again, an action word, an intention word, consistently stoking and fanning the flame so that it burns brightly. Now, it tells us in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians that the gifts that he's talking about, those gifts God distributes just as he wills for his good purposes. We don't receive a survey after we, we come into relationship with Christ and says, okay, check which spiritual gifts you want, and then we give it to God, and he gives us those. By his will, for his good purposes, he gifts us, okay? And so... Uh, those gifts are given by him for his goodwill with the sole purpose of us then being obedient and applying those gifts in our life for his good purposes, okay? And so we have to obey, we have to use the gift that he's uniquely blessed us with so that we would, one, build up and edify the body of Christ, and two, carry the baton of truth, the, the baton of faith, with diligence to a lost and a hurting world, okay? Okay? Uh, and by exercising that gift, when we exercise that gift, that's what rekindles the flame. That's what makes the flame burn brighter, okay? And again, God by his sovereign will gives us the gifts and then we work in tandem with his Holy Spirit uh, by daily crucifying our flesh. We fan those flames, we apply those gifts and we rekindle, rekindle the gift and fan the flames so that God is glorified through those. So that's point one. Point two in your outline is remember your resources. And that comes from verse seven. It says, therefore, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We all at times, I believe, and again, if this doesn't apply to you, you can give me your secrets of how you not have this happen to you and I'll put them into place, but we all suffer from, uh, uh, one of my favorite writers is Paul Tripp, he speaks a lot about identity amnesia, and I think we all suffer that at some point, we forget who we are sometimes as God's children, and who God is, and his unlimited resources that he's given us, that he's freely given to us, we just forget that some way, and I know that I way too frequently uh, prove that to be true when I allow circumstances in my life that seem beyond my control, beyond my power to change, and if I allow those things to invade my thought process, and I'm unsuccessful in taking those thoughts captive, then those things cause distraction. Those things can push me out of my lane where I'm supposed to be, okay, but when I can move the weeds out of the way and I can see clearly and I can understand the truth clearly that God has provided everything I need, he's provided the resources the moment I first believe. Peter tells us that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's not a future promise. That's a promise for now. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness, to walk with him, to apply those resources in our life. So those three resources, again, power, love, and discipline. Power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. But it speaks of a, of a power that's spirit-controlled, that's controlled by the Holy Spirit, Spirit working in us. It's a productive energy that can work in our life. And it's God's power that gives us effectiveness for kingdom work. And it's a power that's already in us and operating in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And again, that's what makes it possible for us to have victory over our flesh and to, to operate in the gifts to bring him glory and to have an intentional faith walk, being faithful to his calling. We also, it tells us in that same verse, we also have the resource of his divine love, which again is we received his divine love the moment we believe. Romans 5 tells us the love of God has been 
not will be, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we have that already. Doesn't mean we're operating in it. Doesn't mean we're appropriating, but we have it already. We've been equipped. And this godless, or this godly love is volitional. It's a selfless love that looks to the best interest of others above our own needs and desires. And perhaps, at least this is true for me, perhaps loving like God loves is the best measurement in my life of how I'm doing spiritually. And am I seeing people the way God wants me to see them? And am I loving people the way God wants me to love them? And that's hard sometimes. You know, that's one. But that, that I think, in my, at least in my life, is a litmus test for how I'm doing in this thing. If I can love people unselfishly and, and, and correctly appropriate God's love in my life. When I do that, I do have clarity of, of what God has for me. I do feel like I am pursuing his will and his plan with intentionality. Because the opposite of that, selfishness or self, it simply blinds and it distorts and it deceives. Okay, But loving unselfishly, loving like God loves, gives us clarity in his calling in our life. The third, the third resource that it talks about in that verse is, is discipline. And this word has the literal meaning of a secure and sound mind. But it also carries the additional idea of being self-controlled and disciplined. Having a properly prioritized mind. And when we have God-given discipline, it allows us to live an ordered life in which we can apply godly wisdom in every circumstance, whether it's a horrible, bad circumstance or a really cool circumstance. It allows us to correctly apply God's wisdom at that time. And this spirit-empowered discipline allows us once again to put our priorities in the right order and have every aspect of our life be devoted to the success of the gospel, to the purpose that God has called us to. Paul talks about this intentionality and purpose and direction in, in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about the fact in this that, that, that he, this isn't happened by accident. He's just not randomly doing, doing things. He says this. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't just run around in circles. I have a goal and a, and a clarity of what God has for me. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Okay, Paul loved sports metaphors. Um, he says, no, I strike a blow to my body. He, he has discipline in his life and make it slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He didn't want to lose focus. He didn't want to drift out of his lane. He didn't want to be unintentional. He had purpose and intentionality happening in his life. And so these three resources that we just talked about, they can't be learned, okay? And they can't be developed from life experience, uh, they're not a result of our heritage. They're not a result of our environment. But instead, they're only possible by God's empowerment and for his good purposes. That's why he's equipped us in this way. And they are possessed by everyone who's born again. Now, they're not always appropriated by everyone who is born again. They're not always utilized by everyone who is born again, but everyone who is born again has these. We have the power to be effective for his kingdom. We have the power to love people, to have a right heart towards him and towards others. And we have the discipline to be able to have an intentional focus and a faithfulness in every part of our lives to be able to pursue his will and to bring him glory. Point three in your outline is, is we see in the first part of verse eight, which is recommit to the cost. Recommit to the cost. 
And it says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Whenever something starts with therefore, you have to look back at the verses before. So it takes us back to point two in the outline where we talk about the resources. And we're called to remember those resources. Or in other words, in light of his power, his love, and his discipline that he's freely given us, we have no reason to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of Paul, his prisoner. And again, this letter was written, if we think about the setting of this letter, this was written somewhere around 66 AD, and there was universal criticism and persecution of Christianity, okay? Death was real for them, being killed for their faith. It was a reality of their life. It wasn't maybe it'll happen one day or some of the things that we talk about. Maybe the day's coming when they're not going to let us gather together. or Maybe the day's coming when they're going to you know, they're going to take away the tax-exempt status from the church. You know, I mean, this is talking about I might die tomorrow because of my faith. So there was very real things happening at this time. And Paul is saying you need to count the costs. And again, speaking of suffering for the gospel. Um, later in the book, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? And I've never met anybody in my 40 years of, of walking with the Lord who's suffered the kind of persecution that these guys were suffering. And yet it's clear that God's Word talks about the fact that we will have some sort of persecution. You know, uh, Jesus promised it. Okay? In this world, you will have tribulation. It's not a promise that's on my daily pray for these promise lists. Okay? I scratched that one off a long time ago, okay? Uh, not that it's still not there. It doesn't matter if I scratch it off or not. It's, it's, it's a truth that's in the Word, okay? But, but uh, again, we can expect persecution in our life. And if we think about it, when we choose, when we choose to pick up the baton of faith, the baton of truth, and walk with it, we're walking that narrow path. And when we're intentional and faithful and we're diligent in our faith, we can expect some sort of hostility, some sort of persecution, because our lives create a contrast between a life of pursuing godliness and a life of pursuing sin and worldly pleasures, okay? There's a difference, okay? And so uh, when, we, when we have a, our life committed to taking our baton and being intentional, it should demonstrate obvious and contrasting actions and character to those that don't know Christ. If that's not happening in your life, okay, if you're not different, then there's something that you need to talk about. Another quote, it is impossible to be faithful to Jesus Christ and not incur the opposition of the world. This fellow that wrote this quote was an African-American abolitionist that lived, uh, he was born early 1800s and lived, or like 1820s and, and lived uh, to 1902. So he was a African-American man living in the 1800s, which wasn't a good time for that. And so when he says it is impossible to be faithful to Jesus Christ and not incur the opposition of the world, I think he probably knew what he was talking about. There's also an old, and this will date me a little bit, there's an there's a artist, great guitarist and songwriter named Michael Card. He wrote a song years ago about, and he speaks in this song about Jesus being the rock of offense and the stone of stumbling. That Jesus stumbles people. Okay? He's a rock of offense to people. Okay? And it asks the question in that song, do we present an image, do we present an image that can be stepped over? And what he means by that is, are we just like everybody in the world? Do people, people just 
They just see us as, he's just like me. We're not supposed to be just like the world. We're supposed to present an image, not not, uh, obnoxiously and not in people's faces, but if we're not different from the world, and I'm talking to myself here, guys, you can just not even listen to I'm talking to myself. If I don't present myself in a way that's different from the world, then I've got a problem spiritually. Then I'm not carrying my baton of faith in the right way. I should be different. People should see something in me that they desire. Whatever it might be, uh, 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 I won't, I was going to say my humility, but then that would be kind of contrary if I said my, that I'm humble. Uh, But we should be different. That's the point. We should not be able to be stepped over. We should stumble people, not because we're obnoxious, not because we're we're just flat weirdos, but we should stumble because of Christ in us, and he stumbles people, okay? We're living truth. People that aren't living truth, we should be different than. So I would tell you this. If our faith walk, um, if it doesn't have any cost component in it, especially relational cost, Jesus talked about about hating your mother and father and brothers and sisters for the gospel's sake. He's not saying that go out and hate them. What he's saying is you should be different. You should, you should be different than, than that. There should be some relational costs, you know, in, in this whole thing if you are different, if you are walking rightly. Uh, if, you're, if you're functioning with kingdom effectiveness, something's going to be different in your life. Let's move on to point four, which is remember your calling. And that's seen in verse eight, the second half of verse eight and through verse 10. By the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We are not here just for our own salvation. That's only a very small, a wonderful, don't get me wrong, a wonderful part of why we're here, why Christ died on the cross. But it's not just for our salvation. Jim said many times over the years, it's not about here and it's not about now, okay? That's not what this life is all about, okay? And by God's amazing love and grace, he's not just saved us, but he's, been, he's given us a holy calling. I'm going to read out of the, these verses out of the Amplified Bible because it helps us understand them a little bit better. It says this, In accordance with the power of God, for his power is invincible, for he delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling, a calling that leads to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of purpose. Not because of our works or because of any personal merit, we could do nothing to earn this, but because of his own purpose and grace, his amazing undeserved favor, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began, eternal ages ago. But now that extraordinary purpose and grace has been fully disclosed and realized by us through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who through his incarnation and earthly ministry abolished death, making it null and void, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Because he saved us, we are called to holy living, to a pursuit of Christ-likeness. And this pursuit should be intentional. We should diligently take our baton to faithfully demonstrate God's power and love working through us. When we do that, we will experience the joy and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We have eternal security. And not only that, we should be a light in the dark world. 
when we do that in our lives. And I think many times, again, I talked about this a little earlier, we suffer from identity amnesia and forget who we are and what we've been called to. And the bottom line is you cannot separate the three things that are laid out in verse 9. He delivered us, he saved us, and he called us with a holy calling. Called to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of purpose. You can't separate the truth. You can't separate Christ as Lord and Savior. You can't just pick one and not the other. Okay, you can't separate that. You can't separate this other thing too. We've been called. Okay, we've been gifted. We have a calling on our life. We've been saved. We've been delivered. Those things all go together. You can, you can, it's an option. It's a bad option. Let me just preface this with this. It's a bad option. You can choose to take the path of spiritual apathy and choose not to, not to respond to the calling. You can do that. And God's a gentleman. He'll let you, he'll let you do your thing like that. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean the calling doesn't exist. Okay. That in no way voids that, that promise. We, that's something that we have. So you can choose what you want to do. I'm going to tell a quick story. We're going a little bit long. I'm going to tell a quick story. This is a sad story, but not a sad story. And I'll make it short. I had a guy that I counseled with years ago. And after you hear this story, you'll never want to counsel with me. But I counseled with this, this man years ago. He was about my age, so he it was about 45, so that was quite a few years ago. Um, and he was heartbroken. He was heartbroken that his three adult children, all three of his adult children, had no faith relationship with Christ at all. They had no interest in pursuing a relationship with Christ at all. They were all college, post-college age kids. And so I asked him some very deliberate questions, which he could not answer yes to any. I said, first, did you, did you, the big question was, what did you do to demonstrate to your children that a relationship with Christ is important? Did you go to church consistently? No. Did you spend time reading your Bible that they could observe or not observe, but doing it and they kind of knew what you did? No. Did you pray with your family ever? No. Did you ever talk to, to your kids about the importance of being in a relationship with Christ? No. Did you serve in any way? No. And so, being the, the kind, gentle counselor, I says, then why would you expect your children to... Why would they value that? You haven't valued it. You don't... You might have good intentions... But you've never put those intentions into practice. You've never been intentional. So why would you expect, oh, you thought it would just happen by accident? That some kind of magic would happen and they would just hear and know? Now, listen to me clear. I'm in no way saying that if you did everything right and your child does not choose to, to walk with the Lord, that that's on you. That's not on you. It is on you if you've never done anything and you profess to be a believer. But, but adult... Children make their own decision, have to make their own faith decision. But the reason that's a sad story, that's the sad part of the story. The good part of the story is he still had years, okay? It's never too late to start being intentional, to start demonstrating by your actions that, that a relationship with Christ is important. So he had a lot of years. He's still around, and, and I don't know what the status of, of the whole thing is, but, but he's still around. So that's the good part, is in the, that God forgives. There's still an opportunity to make that right. So... I'll end with a couple things. This quote saying, faithfulness to God is our first obligation in all that we are called to do in the service of the gospel. Faithfulness is so, so, so important. Again, I go back to those words, well done, thy good and 
faithful servant. Okay, very, very important. So the conclusion is to take your baton and be faithful. And I'm going to end with this illustration. We have five core statements at Verde Valley Christian Church. And it's very, very, very important to have all of these five core statements happening in your life to have a firm grip. Okay, to have a firm grip on the baton of faith. The first one is to love God wholeheartedly, to love him with, your, with all of your heart, soul, and mind, to be all in. He doesn't want half of our love. He wants us to love him wholeheartedly. That's the thumb, okay? And, I, and all these hang on the thumb. I looked it up, and the thumb's really important for grip strength. I even looked up, what other animals have opposing thumbs? You know, I mean, so this is important for grip strength, okay? Um, love God wholeheartedly. The next one... The next one is do first things first, okay? And spiritual disciplines with intentionality are important. Devoting daily, serving, giving, church attendance, all those things are important, okay? Do first things first. Those are important things. The next one is don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. We all need people. We all need a Paul. We all need a mentor, and we all need to mentor someone. We need people in life, and we all need community. I will tell you this. The season that I talked about earlier, I would not have gotten through that without community, without the people around me, without the men that I trust and believe in that could speak into my life. Okay? I wouldn't have. I would not have been. I mean, it was, would have been frightening, scary to go through that alone. Okay? So we need people. So don't do life alone. The next one, which this is where my hand starts getting uncoordinated because my pinky wants to go out. So I'll hold it in like this. Save people, serve people. Okay. That's this finger. I can't wiggle it because I'm uncoordinated. Save people, serve people. Serving, serving is a spiritual discipline that makes us die to ourself when we're serving others. We're laying our own needs aside to serve others. It's a spiritual discipline that's very important in our spiritual maturity. And then the last one is followers say, follow me, okay? And is your spiritual life in order that you can say, follow me as I follow Christ? Paul said that, and he said that I believe we have the same equipping that Paul has. I'm not as smart as Paul was, but I have the same equipping, the same power working in me, the same love working in me. So, so... And who are you passing the baton to? We're all called to make disciples, okay? And so when we have all those things happening together, we can have a firm grip. You take any of them out, and it's going to weaken your grip on the baton of faith, okay? So rekindle your gift, fan it into flames, remember your resources, recommit to the cost, remember your calling, and have a firm grip, be faithful, and be intentional. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you forgive us when we fall short. We thank you, Father, that that you've given us your Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and helps us see the path that you desire for us to walk. And Lord, we ask that, that we would be able to pick up our baton of faith, that we would be able to walk faithfully before you, that we would be intentional in our actions, Father, that that people would see us as as Christ's followers. 
Father, that, that uh, they would see something in us that is desirable, that they would, that they would want to have. So, again, Father, we know that, that we don't always do the things that you call us to do, and, and you're there to, to minister to us and to correct us, so we thank you for that. And just pray that we would represent you well uh, to a lost and a hurting world. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a prayer team over to this side. If you have anything you need prayer for, stop over there. And next week, part two, which is called Be On Guard. So come and join us next week for the second in the series.